So this morning I forgot my notes for my talk. <laughs> and then I remembered, you know, I, I remembered I had my computer in the car, which has my talk on the computer. So this will be the first talk I've ever given, first Dharma talk ever given, looking at times at a laptop. And it made me think of uh, a time when one of my uh, mentors, uh, Houston Smith, some of you may know his work, wonderful teacher, and I had invited him to give a talk and was going to be introducing him, and we had dinner. And he left his notes at the dinner table. And then right as I was introducing him, and he, and he, he realized that he didn't have his notes. And, and, he, and we said, well, we can go back and try to get the notes from, because it was in a hotel, I think, and the dining hall was, you know, about three or four minutes walk away. And he said, no. And he just gave the talk without the notes. And I thought of doing that. <laughs> and I think I'm going to do a middle way. <laughs> Which uh, is that actually often when I give talks, I prepare and I have notes, and I, but I don't look at them. And I generally have a sense of the skeleton of the talk, because I usually have a structure to the talk. Uh, and like to often use the structure, but not always look at the notes, so it becomes a little bit more like jazz. Right? right, there is a structure, but it also, if I stay too close to the notes, it doesn't have as much life as if I'm, if I use the structure and uh, actually let the life come through. That's, uh, you know, when I was first beginning to give talks, one of my uh, mentors at the time, John Travis, his guidance for me was plan ahead, and when you're ready to give a talk, keep your awareness in your body, in your belly, and in your heart, and let your thoughts self-organize. Which, <laughs> which has worked pretty well. So I'll do a version. So the main reason I have the laptop is that I have some good quotations, which will not self-organize well. <laughs> okay. So last time I explored with you, and we explored in the discussion, the theme of looking at the ways that we create an other, the ways that we engage, we might say, in othering. And I connected that theme with uh, two contexts. One is the context of Buddhist practice. We're looking at the ways that we create an other either externally or even in ourselves, can be related to the creation of a self. And so we can see the ways, for example, that we create an other through various kinds of social categories. You know, and culturally, socially, virtually all cultures and societies have some kind of other in the society. You know, it could be, um, in our society, we know that we create others through categories of uh, race and ethnicity, class, age, uh, sexual orientation, educational level, religion, and so forth. And there's especially been a tension, uh, probably, probably more in the, in the last hundred years around these issues in this culture than, than previously. But it's certainly uh, something that we can see how those uh, social categories and the, the division into social groups uh, conditions us, even whether we like it or not, to see the world often through the lens of this is an other than me. And the typical way that that uh, social grouping works is that there's typically a grouping that is more 
mainstream or quote-unquote normal or the norm, and then the, the other is created as typically as uh, demeaned or marginalized or treated differently institutionally. We know, we know that according to all of these different uh, categories. So we looked at that way of creating another, but we also can see that we, we uh, create another often interpersonally in very um, simple ways, simply when we um, have a difficult interaction with someone, we may create another. And last time in the discussion, we shared different ways that we create another. I confess to creating a category of people who tailgate me when I'm driving. You know, and I have a category, that I other them. You know, another one of them. Right? And, uh, and it's a, it's a, you know, it's a very uh, ordinary capacity. We, I think we can see that process certainly of the uh, other according social groups in virtually every society, you know, that we see uh, it just looks different. It looks different, you know. Talking with someone who grew up in Wales as someone of English background, there was a lot of othering between the Welsh and the English, right? And, you know, we look to most societies, you know, in the, in the native tribes in North America, there would be a kind of othering of other tribes. And there would be wars and they would take slaves and so forth. So this is something that seems to be in the human condition. And we have traditions and approaches that intend to cut through othering, that tend to work to transform those processes of othering where we find them. You know, and so one of the uh, reference points is our practice, which really invites us to look especially at where there is a strong sense of self. And where there is, going to, where there is a strong sense of other, there's going to be a strong sense of self. And so the, uh, the looking at how we create an other, whether it's through social groups or just in some you know, some way that interpersonally we um, have a difficult time with this person or that person and we make a grouping or we just create a, uh, we, we other just a single person, you know, and we, we told some stories last time about that. And we also looked at how we can actually uh, create an other of ourselves. And to the extent that we internalize some of these social categories, we may create an other of ourselves. And I gave some examples such as the fact if I internalize uh, a negative message about elderly people and then, let's say, I turn 65 and I notice, uh, you know, I notice I may interpret certain things that happen according to a negative narrative related to being older, right? I may have a uh, the example I gave, I may have a, an ache which 20 years ago I would have just shrugged off, as they say, and now it's the beginning of the end, <laughs> or it's the beginning of the decline, right? And we can, you know, and I've inter and I've internalized a narrative, perhaps, uh, in which which maybe previously I created an other of elderly, and now I'm doing it to myself, right? And we know that that's actually a factor of groups that are oppressed, that there, there's an internalization of the message, right? And I, I don't think I gave an example, but a very powerful example that I've sometimes given is uh, found in, the, um, in studies that were done, for example, of African-American girls, which I've sometimes mentioned here, in the 1940s and early 1950s, where these were the so-called doll tests, which some of you know about, right, have studied. And in those studies, they, uh, African-American girls, I think in Harlem, were presented with a uh, black doll and a white doll and asked, which is uh, the good doll? And the African-American girls said, the white doll is the good doll. And then they were asked, which doll is like you? And some of them said, the black doll is like me, and some of them couldn't answer. 
And so you can see that internalization of the negative message, very, uh, very intense and heartbreaking when one stays with that example for a while. And so those, we can also, in a way, create others of ourselves by internalizing the message or uh, sometimes we don't want to relate to a part of ourselves and that becomes an other. You know, so it might anger becomes another, or my desire becomes another, or my sexuality become, can become another, or my vulnerability can become another. And the, again, the, um, the interest especially is to have another lens that lets us see uh, ways that there is what I've sometimes called a thick sense of self. The, and this relates to the core practice that we've looked at a lot in the past in this Wednesday gathering of the teaching of anatta, translated as not-self, which uh, I've interpreted especially as a way of um, working through the ways that there is a quote-unquote thick sense of self a sense of self in which there's separation, there might be self-consciousness, self-image, and in, in, a, in a way in which the, that sense of self may get in the way of our own uh, interaction with others, our own uh, letting flow of our own qualities. We also looked at a little bit of how some of the most beautiful qualities that we have often manifest when there's not much sense of self. Quite interesting, you know. And I, I quoted my, my mom uh, talking about how in music she had to learn how to not have a sense of being a performer and not have a sense of self, but let herself be taken up by the music. And so I, I made the connection between this quality of othering and the examination of self. And we also could connect it with the othering, in a way, closes down our hearts and prevents the flowing of love, of loving-kindness, of empathy. When I other another being, I tend to not have empathy for that person. I tend to see that person as not okay, not normal, you know, and, and, and so forth. And so the invitation last week was to uh, see the ways that we create an other in our own minds in these multiple ways. And how many of you did some investigation of that in the last week? So I was, I was inviting that especially. And how many of you did it just a little bit? Okay, okay. So it's, it's a powerful practice. I, I've worked with uh, quite a few groups in the last six months where we've, looked, where we've used othering as a lens, particularly connected with looking at the judgmental mind. Now, one of, the, one of the reasons that it's an interesting uh, approach uh, for me is that looking at the sense of other and othering is a way that really can connect our inner work with how we relate to others relationally, and it also can clearly connect with larger social issues. So it's, it's an interesting uh, way to practice because our looking at the sense of how we create an other clearly has a lot of um, power in terms of our own inner practice, but it also can give us a lot of, can give us um, a tool or, or a, um, a teaching that helps us with our interpersonal relationships and also helps us navigate through one of the main ways of looking at social issues. You know, and as always, the, um, the aim here, the aim in all of our practice, is to cultivate a sense of wisdom of, which can manifest in this context as interconnection, as empathy, as a way of working through the ways that we create another. And I, I believe that something like this practice is an integral component of overcoming some of the larger social maladies of our society, right? That there has to be some way, if we're going to really transform racism, for example, or sexism, or um, 
the ways that we in the past have seen gay and lesbian people as other, there has to be some inner process of looking at how we do that, right? And the Buddhist mindfulness gives us wonderful resources to do that. So that's, that's why this is a inter- very interesting theme, because it connects the different domains of our life. It's something that clearly has an, you know, importance individually, but it also has importance relationally and then, and then socially. And it's connected with this intention to develop uh, both in ourselves and in our communities and in the larger world more sense of interconnection, more sense of inclusivity, more sense of uh, empathy, more sense of love, more sense of metta, more sense of compassion. Uh, so it's, it's integrally connected with this. I, the other uh, context that was important for me, which I mentioned quite a bit last time, was, and that actually inspired me to give a talk on this, was going to a conference about uh, oh, almost three weeks ago uh, called Othering and Belonging that took place in Oakland, where there were a great number of luminaries. And it was organized by a man named John A. Powell, who is the director at University of California, Berkeley, of the Haas Institute for a Fair and Inclusive Society. And I, I wanted just to quote from something that he said that can also uh, point towards this, the goal. And when we look at how we create an other, we're also implicitly looking at how we can create that inclusive community, that inclusive society. Um, and this is what he said. Our work is to identify barriers to an inclusive, just, and sustainable society and to challenge those barriers and help to create transformative change. And he talks about his institute. At our institute, we are looking, we have seven cross-disciplinary research clusters all looking at the other, othering process through different lenses, race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, religion, and so forth. So what I wanted to do in the rest of the, the morning was to say a little bit more about the othering process. Uh, last week I was going to wrap it up today, talk about belonging, community, empathy, and so forth, uh, partly because I wasn't coming back for a few weeks. I was going to wrap it all up, but I thought that was a little premature, that we, it actually can be helpful to look at these processes of, of othering, a little, little more depth. I'm going to say a little bit about belonging. I'm going to do an exercise with us, and then we'll have some discussion. So that's my, that's my aim. So I thought I'd talk a little bit more about some of these forms of othering, because they're, 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 um, they're still with us, right? And so we look at something like race, and, and we know that there have been uh, horrors in the past, right? We know, we know from... Uh, maybe reading, study, talking with people. Maybe for some of you it was through seeing 12 Years a Slave. How many people saw that film? Yeah, uh, recommended strongly. And just the, the way in which uh, African Americans were considered an other still has an enormous, we know, enormous uh, residue in our culture. So I, I just thought I'd go over a few of these. We know this is from uh, Thomas Jefferson about talking about African Americans. They smelled bad and were physically unattractive, required less sleep, were dumb, cowardly, and incapable of feeling grief. Advanced it therefore as a suspicion only that blacks, whether originally a distinct race or made distinct by time and circumstances, are inferior to the whites in the endowments of body and mind. You can find that in many settings. Or that's, again, by someone who in other contexts was very wise, right? It's deep, deep conditioning in the culture. And we, it, it influences us still to this day, even though there have been enormous changes. You know? And you can see that, you know, again, there was in the society uh, what, what's called Jim Crow, until not very recently, you know, just a little over 50 years ago. And again, we know that that seeing of African Americans as other is still very, very strong in the culture. And we can look also at, um, we can also look at the, the way that we've historically created an other 
in the context of gender. You know, again, a lot of this is, is open for shifting. A lot of people have been looking at this. But we can, we can see the way that historically, obviously, that women have been considered an other for the men who were the philosophers, the lawyers, who, who developed the understanding of what human nature is. You know, you can look and see that until recently, psychologists, when they were studying human nature, considered the normal to be that of males, right? And a lot, you know, again, we've uh, developed enormously, but a lot of the residues are clearly still there. Uh, you know, and I talk uh, occasionally when I do one-on-one work with young men who are struggling with pornography, right? Which is a kind of deep, and we know that por- pornographic sites are the most visited on the web, right? So something is still, there's still that strong conditioning, even, even if it, you know, even if it might not come before our view, but uh, talking with the young men, seeing how they're struggling with this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I looked up um, a book that I had read quite some time ago by Susan Griffin. Some of you may have read her work, wrote a book called uh, Pornography in Silence, which, which I brought in. In, in that book, she made connections between sexism and pornography and racism and actually anti-Semitism. And she said, this is from her book, the pornographer reduces a woman to a mere thing, to an entirely material object without a soul who can only be loved physically. Right? And so we know that in many ways, um, many ways, uh, that conditioning of others is still with us quite strongly. You know? And she also makes the connection in, in, in the work with both with uh, pornography and also in relation to racism and anti-Semitism. She says that the woman for the sexist, like a Jew or a black, represents a lost part of the soul. That region of being the pornographic or the racist mind would rather forget and deny. So that makes that connection with there's a kind of othering of self that occurs, that occurs there. And I, I, I remember hearing one of her talks at the time that she was writing this book, and she actually had done research on some of the anti-Semitism of the Nazis and people of Jewish background were particularly being berated for the clothes they wore and so forth. And when she did the research, she found actually that the clothes that were being criticized, which were worn in Eastern Europe, were actually what was worn in Germany some three or four hundred years ago. So it actually was denying actually an aspect of themselves, a lack of self-knowledge connected with that kind of othering. You know, so, and then there was, um, you know, there's, uh, we know the, the othering due to sexual orientation, which until recently in this culture has been very strong. Um, this is a quote from Time magazine from 1966. Even in purely non-religious terms, homosexuality represents a misuse of the sexual faculty. It is a pathetic little second-rate substitute for reality, a pitiable flight from life. Time magazine, right? And as such, it deserves fairness, compassion, understanding, and when possible, treatment. But it deserves no encouragement, no glamorization, no rationalization, no fake study fake status as minority martyrdom, and above all, no pretense that it is anything but a pernicious sickness. Right, again, that, that sense of othering may still be, there may still be residues, obviously there are in the culture. And it can also be around disability, around age. Uh, one of the people who was very impressive at this conference uh, was a man named Andrew Solomon who wrote a, a bestseller called Far From the Tree. And uh, he talked about uh, a lot of different, particularly categories of disability there. One of the, one of the categories in, in the, in the uh, presentation, he showed films that had an interview <coughs> with a man named Clinton Brown, who was a dwarf. 
And he, he, he acknowledged that when Clinton Brown was born, the doctors recommended that he be left to the hospital to die. They said he would um, never walk, would never talk, he had no intellectual capacity, and that he would never recognize his parents. Very common views. This was from the medical professionals. Luckily, his mother had a different view. And um, they raised him. He walked. And he went to college. And Andrew Solomon told a very um, funny story of this Clinton Brown, who was you know, probably about three feet tall. And one day, she was driving around town when he was at college. And he had a little vehicle that he used. And she saw the little vehicle outside of a bar. <laughs> and she got very worried because you know, she was three feet and there were all these potentially drunk six-footers there. And she went home immediately and left eight messages on his phone. And then she reflected, you know, if when he was born, my main concern would him getting, be getting into trouble while he was in college at a bar, I'd be very happy. <laughs> and so, but you can see though, you know, those, those views which were, I think, there. That was, that was probably the 1980s when those views were there. And we can see that again in, in all these different areas. And again, it's, uh, we find it, I think, something like this in all cultures. It's not, we have our distinct versions, but it's, it's this quality of othering. And um, the core vision, I think, that we have in our practice is to go against the sense of othering, and it's to create a community, to create a world in, there, in which everyone belongs. It's really this vision which has different uh, names, you know. Martin Luther King Jr. called it the beloved community. But the, it's this sense of having room for people, having, having uh, people have a meaningful voice, and in a way be institutionally respected and be respected culturally. And it seems that in order to get there, one has to work on many levels, but one of the levels is really seeing where we may create others. And something like that process has to go on in the larger culture, and I think it has gone on. There's this, I think this, uh, you know, as uh, I'm thinking of Sylvia, when we are not startled or frightened, our hearts are very good. And one of the links is that othering is connected with anxiety or fear. And that's why the heart closes down. And that's so the invitation was to see the way we could, uh, the way, see the way we could look at the patterns of othering in our own experience and notice that and use that as a lens for both seeing where the self is thick and also developing more of that sense of empathy and kindness. And these are, these are like ways when we notice othering, there's a way that something's closing down. And we also want to see what's the source of it. Is there some fear? Is there some anxiety? What's going on in ourselves? And so the invitation last week was to really investigate how and, and where one does this in one's experience and to notice it. Um, and so uh, I'm going to talk more next time about some of the images of inclusivity and belonging. I was thinking of the, the sense of the Sangha. In, in India, 2,500 years ago, the Buddha created a community, and we would think in which there was no othering. And this was in a society which had very detailed systems via the caste system of creating others. Right? And so in, you know, can you imagine the radical quality 25, 2600 years ago of going against the grain of the society and saying when you enter this society, this community of spiritual practitioners, 
there are no lower caste. There are no higher caste. The caste system doesn't apply. Also, inviting women into the Sangha, which was, again, very much against the grain. And so we have in the, in the vision of the uh, community set up by the Buddha a sense uh, or a vision of belonging, of going beyond the process of othering that, that I think can inspire us. And, and in fact, uh, I, I was thinking about this. I think the, the process of working with that sense of creating an other has, has different developmental stages. And initially, one can bring this, enter this community. It's like this, what King called the beloved community, where at least the core intention is that there's not othering and one could feel more at home. And then one looks at the more subtle aspects of othering, right? The more subtle aspects of self. You know, I think that vision is very much in the understanding of metta or the understanding of uh, the cultivation of the kind heart in our practice. This is, this is from the Metta Sutta. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen or the unseen, those living near and far away. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. We could interpret that as uh, let us not create another. Let us rather bring kindness and empathy to all beings. And as we, as we know from the, the actual practice, this is again developmental. We start where it's easier to develop that kindness of empathy and we see what stands in the way. So this is a core aspect of our practice. And for me, the use of the concept of other helps us to, uh, in a way, broaden our practice and make some connections with these larger social issues as well, which are you know, very much um, calling for our attention as a larger society right now. For Dr. King, this was to have love at the center. He said, a genuine revolution in values means that every nation must have an overriding loyalty to humanity. It lifts neighborly concern beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation into an all-embracing and unconditional love. That was, again, motivating that vision of the beloved society. And he goes on to say in a way very similar to what we have with the Buddha with metta. When I speak of love, I am not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I'm speaking of that force which all the great religions, and later he speaks of Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, Jewish traditions, have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is somehow the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. That's a really a call to go beyond othering. And so because of the uh, power of the practice of mindfulness, I think we have um, great resources because we can track this stuff, right? I can go, when I'm driving back home, I can watch myself being tailgated and going into other mode, othering mode. Or you can notice that othering... Uh, maybe in your workspace, or you can notice it in maybe more embarrassing ways with certain social categories, you know. And one thing that's important is that uh, even people who are very dedicated to not other have the conditioning, and we will do that, you know. And, you know, you can hear stories from, I think I told the story of Desmond Tutu, you know, great... South African freedom fighter in a way. And he, he told the story of getting on an airplane and seeing black pilots and saying, I hope they're well qualified. <laughs> right? right? And so I think we have to, when we, when we look carefully, it's really important to, ha- to 
have that sense of compassion, know that this is in all of us, right? It's not like we can pretend to not have it. The, whatever, the racism, the sexism, all of this, the uh, homophobia, whatever, will appear in all of us at certain times, no matter um, what end of that we are, you know? It gets internalized, it gets externalized, and so it's both sobering, but also it can, it, for me, it really uh, uh, c- can um, be helpful to know that no one is really free from this. The other thing is, is that all of us are both uh, on the upper end of things and on the lower end of things, and have been, you know, some more than others. And so that, you know, all of us have been othered and will be othered. And all of us other others, if you follow my drift. (laughs) And so no matter how privileged we are, we will have the conditioning around age when we get older, no matter what the privilege is. And... um, and so we all have that. that. That, for me, means a basis of empathy. Okay, so I want to, I want to do um, one practice that'll, that'll invite you, and then we'll have a discussion. So you okay with doing a practice together? Okay. okay. You don't know what it is, though. <laughs> okay, so practice, the practice involves you being with one other person in a dyad. Okay, so face a person, introduce yourself, and await instructions. Okay? Okay? And raise your hand if you need a partner. Do you need one in the back? See, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you don't have a partner. Okay? Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, why don't you uh, just join one other group? Okay. Okay. Okay, so here's the exercise. This is, uh, this is a dyad. Each person will have about three, or four, three, about three minutes or so. And the exercise involves uh, one person asking a question continually. This is a form that we sometimes call inquiry that uh, the original form is developed by A.H. Uh, uh, Almas, also uh, known as Hamid Ali, in the diamond approach. How many of you are familiar with that? For some of you. And involves uh, a repeating question. And the repeating question is partly meant just to take us, over time, a little more deeply. And so the question will be, tell me a way that you create another. And so let's just, someone, anyone know this practice? Okay, why don't you ask me, okay? We'll just do a sample here. And then what happens is, tell me a way that you create an other. I respond, and then you say, thank you, and then you repeat the question again. Okay. And then, I, okay? All right. So tell me a way you create another. Well, it's that tailgaters, yeah. Okay. So when people tailgate me, I just go somewhere. Yeah, I can notice that there, there is othering at times around African Americans. It's, um, it's, it's painful, but it's there sometimes. Yeah. Thank you. Tell me a way you create another. Sometimes I create another of myself. I'm, I don't have empathy for myself, and I you know, have some way that I see myself as not okay. You. So you get the idea? Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Um, okay, any questions about the practice? And I'll do the timing. It'll be about three minutes each, <coughs> so not too long. <coughs> okay? <coughs> so, let me... Uh, <coughs> so, the, we'll have one person start. Uh, decide among you who will go first as the... Um, uh, person who responds. Raise your hand if you're going first. Okay. Every group should have one person going first. 
okay? Okay, um, so I'll time you. I'll ring a bell. Uh, I'll let you know with, with about 30 seconds left, and then I'll ring a bell to finish, and then we'll switch, okay? So let's start right now. About 30 seconds more. speaker just finishing up and thank your partner in whatever way you'd like and now we can switch
About 30 seconds more. So thank your partner in whatever way you'd like. We'll finish up and then we'll come back to the whole group. So I want to open up things in a moment, but just to say that what the suggestion will be will be to continue to practice with this. And practicing could mean tracking when there is a sense of uh, creating another. Notice when you look carefully at it, how many of you felt some difficult emotions just sharing that just now? It's, uh, there might be some shame, there might be some uh, pain, sadness, whatever. How many of you felt some of those emotions? Yeah. So just to notice what's there and can you see why people don't want to look at this stuff? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'll say one more word, then we'll open it up. So the invitation is to keep looking. It's not easy. Typically, part of what it means to other people is that I don't look at my process of othering. <laughs> That's what it means to create another. It's that I don't have to look. I don't have to take responsibility. <clears throat> and so the invitation is to keep looking, noticing, see what it, when you notice it, see what it's like inside, see if there are those emotions, see if there might be some painful situation, maybe some anxiety connected with there, or some fear. <clears throat> and it's not to say that the fear is always ungrounded, right? I'm not, not saying that. Sometimes there, there might be anxiety that might, might have a, uh, some basis often not much basis, <laughs> right? But, but look at that. See what it feels like in the body. See if there are stories. Um, you know, maybe invite someone in your life to do this exercise that we just did. A lot can, was revealed probably just in three minutes, right? It's a lot there. Um, and, so the, and then also see, if, as you're exploring, see are there ways that you can work through that process of othering? Because that's where we're going. It's not just to see this and feel wretched. <laughs> but it's really to, the aim of this is to see it, but have some tools. And so I think as I mentioned last time, if we're looking in this territory, it's very important to have an ongoing practice of something like loving kindness or compassion. Something that keeps you in the heart because looking at this territory can trigger things. Right? And so to have that quality of, I think I would say daily, if you can, do 10 or 15 minutes a day of one of the heart practices, loving kindness, compassion. If you find yourself judging yourself, go to go notice it some, but also go to that loving kindness. So 
just wanted to add, <clears throat> add that piece. So please, let's use the microphone and we can say, what did you notice? And, you know, where do you, you know, where to go with this? So anything you notice or any question about anything that I've said, so. Is it on? It's on. Um, what I noticed um, interchanging with Elizabeth is that how what she found is, as another, I also mostly found yeah. those same similarities. And I also wondered what it would be like to have someone that you viewed as another doing this interchange with you. Mm. Because I think that they would probably have the same responses mm. as, or many of the same responses that I had. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, it would be, we'd want to probably have some uh, prerequisites for doing that work. But I know my, my mom, you know, Bernice, who, who often comes here, I think I've mentioned that she was in charge of what was called at that time, this was in the for 10 years from 1970 to 1980, she was in charge of what was called race relations for the city of Richmond, Virginia, public school system, right? And she would often, you know, many weekends, she would have retreats. And at that time, it was blacks and whites getting together. And they would do something like that. And they would find it would almost mirror, it would mirror what was being felt by one was mirrored by the other they were able to do that kind of practice. I think we would often find that. I think it, it, it takes to have a level of honesty where there's, that, where there's some pain, it takes working up to. You can't go right there, typically. Yeah. But I think that's a good, good insight. It's, it's like uh, people are mutually projecting. And of course, there's a hierarchy, so it's not equal in that sense. Yeah. What I noticed is that even though we were talking about others, we were really talking about a lot about ourselves. Mm, yeah. Can you give an example, if you're willing to? Well, the obvious one is when we other ourselves. But, yeah. you know, like even talking about African Americans, mm -hmm. the conversation was sort of like, well, I would, I would smile or be friendly or talk, but I have this feeling that they won't want that in mm. a, on a bus, let's say, mm -hmm. or... In mm. a public area, you know, mm -hmm. and so I shy away from it from my experiences, mm -hmm. not yeah. because I don't want to be friendly or yeah. inquisitive or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So there's a whole difficult etiquette of interaction or a whole difficult mode of interaction, often, you know, where 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 there is not so much flow or communication, right? There might not be, and you know, and how would you? How might you work with that? Well, let let go of past experiences or yeah. anxieties or fears, and just start each day with a fresh slate. But you know, way. it's um, it's a tall order sometimes. <laughs> it is, but yeah, I think that 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 would be to to be fresh. Uh, at this point, we're we're emphasizing a lot just the noticing. You know, you can take that as an experiment, but the a lot of the fruit is noticing what's there in you. You know, but yeah, I think to take some risks to not be bound by the past while understanding the residue of the past. You know, that's, that's a lot of what defines our practice, right? This is, we try to uh, be aware of the effect of the past while not being bound by it. So it's not easy. Yeah. Just following up on the idea of race um, yeah. and othering of, in this case, African Americans. I mean, I, I live in Marin. <laughs> I come to Spirit Rock. Yeah. There are not many African Americans that come here. Yeah. Um, and I noticed last weekend I was in New Orleans, yeah. um, and it's a very integrated city uh, racially. Yeah. And there was just a desensitization that happened that helped that othering, yeah. that just being part of it and in the flow. Mm -hmm. As opposed, I mean, here we're just saying try and recognize it, breathe into it, and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a desensitization, whether it's 
you know, uh, someone of different sexual orientation or age or handicap or race, mm -hmm. we can actually do something by moving into that space. Moving into the space so there's more familiarization right. and probably knowing people, right? And, you know, in, in those interactions, when, if the othering was there, one would see that. And so a certain amount of working through it, right, that can, can occur just by familiarity, you know, for uh, just by knowing people. So, you know, some of you might want to visit, for example, the East Bay Meditation Center in Oakland, where often the events, you know, where I, I teach sometimes day-longs there, and they might be 40%, 50% people of color. And it's quite different. It's a different experience for me as a teacher, right? There's a different range. I mean, we, we have a lot of forms of diversity at Spirit Rock, but ethnic diversity is not the main, is not so well developed, right? I think you know, there's a lot of effort being put into that here, right? In various ways. And part of that is just seeing what's there inside. But I think you're right that uh, uh, at times there can be um, just, you know, when certain situations will just make something possible and the old othering may fall away. Yeah. Or at least some of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I worked in Oakland for 15 years um, at Children's Hospital, and we worked mostly with an African American population of children. Yeah. And at one point, early on in my my time there, we decided, you know, we were too white and we had to, we really made a, an effort to mm -hmm. get African-American clinicians mm -hmm. included. And it was some of the most intense work I've ever done. I hadn't mm. framed it as othering. But what I was recalling is um, we would have these clinical conferences where we talked about the children. Mm -hmm. And at one point, one of the young clinicians spoke up and said, I can't sit here anymore and hear you talk mm -hmm. about Western, my, yeah. commun yeah. my community this yeah. way. And, um, you know, it was a very tense moment, mm -hmm. but it really created so much reflection. Mm -hmm. And we made a decision that from then on, when we talked about children and families, we would imagine the actual family in the room. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, that was only a piece of some of the work mm -hmm. we did around race, but it was so much othering, and so, um, you know, looking back, I think, wow, that was, that was powerful. Yeah, and you took a lot of the steps. What I was hearing was a lot of empathy, and actually, because um, the othering works with almost like stereotypes or just concepts, and the stories, actually knowing people, this is really your point, uh, having different experiences, having, being present with with uh, and hearing stories, having empathy, having the heart open, is one way to shift it. Right? Well, yeah. and the courage of that young clinician to actually yeah. speak up when yeah. she was new, really changed everything. Yeah, so. it's a difficult area, and so there's um, to engage in that. Maybe in your hospital is going to be difficult at times, messy, right? And and yet, uh, sounds like you got somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, please, uh, Jurgen. I have to wonder how much of this is uh, really uh, we're living out the the human experience of tribalism mm -hmm. and like the the fight for resources. Mm -hmm. You know, we evolved from these small bands of. Uh, bipeds who really had to mm -hmm. you know fight to survive and and you know you create others because your surroundings could only support so much life mm -hmm. so you have to fight for what you have just to 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 pass on you know what what mm -hmm. you have um to to propagate mm -hmm. you know your line and i think about that and and the circumstances that we live in today where tribalism still exists mm -hmm. in a very systematic way Mm -hmm. where uh, so much of it is, is you know, creating tribes, you know, mm -hmm. systematically, so you can, in some ways, control people, control mm -hmm. populations, you know, control the world. Mm -hmm. 
it's very uh, daunting to think that mm-hmm. we live this way and uh, how much energy is required to, to keep this going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a lot. I think, I think it's a good point, really, to connect these processes of othering to resources, to uh, you know, level, levels of you know, material production and so forth, because I think, I think you're right. You know, there could be anxiety about scarcity might lead to some of the primeval forms of othering. Or uh, sometimes it's that. Sometimes it has a lot to do with who's in charge, who the rulers are, and it can be connected with with uh, rulers wanting to divide and conquer. So it, that's often a strategy. Apparently, from the scholarship that I've read, that is actually at the origin of race in the U.S. And I, I think I gave a talk in December related to this that the sc- current scholarship, as I've read it, has it that you know in the you know in the 16 40s, 50s, 60s in Virginia, there were some slaves, but they, it, was, it was a looser arrangement than it later became. People would stop being slaves, and they worked in the fields with indentured servants who were from England, and, and people didn't identify as white or black at that time. And at, at a certain point, the, uh, it appears that the the people we now call whites and blacks, who at that time were not called that, they were called English or Irish or Christians or whatever, um, came together in rebellion against the rulers uh, in around 1675 or so. And, what hap- and it was right after that that there was the enforcement of, uh, and the development of what were called um, the slave laws. And and it seems to have been done for the benefit of the rulers, and it was a kind of divide and conquer in which people who later, who, you know, in 1660 were not called whites, in 1680 were called whites now, and they had to take roles as a kind of buffers between the rulers and the um, enslaved Africans. And so it was very clearly like a social creation seemingly for the benefit of those in power, right? And they were able to play off the, you know, the old tactic, right? And so, though, I think though, knowing that history can be, can be very helpful, because you can see how much of a social construction it is. It is connected with issues of power. And, uh, yeah, and then maybe last thing I'll say is, maybe just to finish, is that... Uh, Again, this is connecting it with big issues. One of the speakers at this conference on othering and belonging, who was to me very impressive, was uh, Naomi Klein, who some of you know as uh, having just written a major book on climate issues uh, called This Changes Everything. And she explicitly connected issues of othering to climate issues and said that actually the only way that we'll really resolve these issues is, is actually overcoming some of these forms of othering, which are very evident when you look to climate issues. She, she uses the language of saying the way we're dealing with, cl- with climate issues now, there are certain sacrifice zones where people are other, where their lives don't matter in the same way as people in the wealthier countries, you know, the people who are in the islands at sea level or maybe people in Africa or some parts of Asia where climate change has a much more intense impact, right? And those people, uh, unless there's some way of really dealing with othering, we won't really deal with the climate issues. So she wants to connect those issues around, uh, around issues of resources, power, and response to difficult situations. So again, this is, these are big issues, right? These are, can be a lot to contemplate, right? But, but uh, uh, I'm encouraged by that approach because it says that actually to really deal with our issues, we have to make the connections there, right? Otherwise, uh, otherwise the, you know, the climate solutions will create yet more others. So again, large issues have to do a lot of metta, a lot of equanimity practice, <laughs> a, lot of inner, this is, a lot of inner practices to keep the uh, stability to work to contemplate these larger issues. But I think when we do, they, they tend to come together. 
if that makes if that makes some sense. So anyway, thank you for thank you for having patience with me taking you through this territory. Not always easy, uh, but I think it's. Can you can you see how it's actually an important one that we might not ordinarily look at, right? But and can you see how it's really connected with some of the core of our practice? That is looking at this strong sense of self. Othering helps us see that strong sense of self, which tends to be less conscious, right? You can see it in some of just in that three-minute dyad. You can see some of that there, and yet to bring this into our practice is really important. It's not easy. We need community. We need uh, that connection. But it is partly about looking at where there's a thick, often unconscious sense of self, which can manifest in othering, and looking at how that makes harder responding with uh, compassion, empathy, and wisdom. Right? And so this is all. This is another piece of that larger project, which uh, I think you've all signed up for. <laughs> So thank you. And let's, let's just finish with uh, just a moment of quiet to see from today, what, see what resonated with you and where you might want to take this further yourself. I'm inviting continued looking at othering. The next time I'll come, I'm going to talk more about belonging. So there's a happy ending. Okay. <laughs> So just see what resonated with you and where you might take this. What are your intentions, whether in terms of practice or in some other way? close by remembering that our practice is for our benefit, it's also for the benefit of others. And may, may the fruits of our morning be offered out to the world for the benefit of all beings, always remembering that all beings includes us. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.